Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. All right. If you want to come back and grab your seat and open up to Hebrews chapter 12. So in 1983 in Australia, uh, there was uh, a race. It was the inaugural ultramarathon race. And it was a race that was ran... The starting point was in Sydney, and it ran all the way to Melbourne. It's 550 miles. As they were getting ready to run this race, a potato farmer named Cliff Young showed up to run the race. And he showed up, uh, and it it was kind of curious. I mean, he was 61 years old, and he was wearing overalls and boots when he showed up. So no one really took him serious at first, but he said, oh yes, I want to run, let me in the race. So they gave him a number and lined up at the starting line. Gun goes off, the ultramarathon runners take off, and Cliff takes off running. Uh, Since it was such a high-profile race in Australia, it was on all the media outlets, and Cliff kind of became like, almost like a running joke as the race started. I mean, this 61-year-old farmer is racing against all of these young marathon runners. Another thing that kind of stuck out was he ran funny. He had like this strange running form, and it just became this joke. There goes Cliff, God bless him, running with all of these ultra-marathon runners. And as the uh, marathon runners leave sight, go out to the wilderness on their way to Melbourne, uh, Cliff takes the lead. And over the, the course of the next few nights, he ends up getting a significant lead on all of the runners. And most people were anticipating that this would take about six days to run. Cliff finished in five and a half days, and he wins. He wins the ultramarathon by nine hours. And everyone's, like, shocked. Like, what in the world? Did this guy cheat? Like, what? How in the world did this 61-year-old farmer win this race? And they start interviewing him afterwards, and they find out, what did you do to train? What in the world? And, and they, one of the things that, was, uh, that gave him an advantage is that all of these runners who were training, they, would, they, they trained so that they would run 18 hours a day, and then they would sleep for six. And they'd w- wake up, and they'd run 18 hours a day, and they'd sleep for six. And Cliff's like, oh, I had no idea that was a strategy. I just ran the whole time. And they're like, how is that possible? <laughs> and, and he said, well, you know, I, I live on this farm, and I have a lot of livestock. And so I, I just run out, and I... I I heard them by myself, and sometimes it takes me two or three days. And they're like, you got to be kidding me. You do? And he's like, yeah. And, and so he wins this ultramarathon race at 61 years old. Uh, not only does he win, but they, they realize that this funky running style that he uses uh, preserves energy. And so now, like, marathon runners will run, they call it the young shuffle. And... And you run like Cliff. You, you run in this way that looks funky, but it preserves, it, it preserves energy. And just this unbelievable story of this unexpected person winning this ultra-marathon race. 
And I tell that story for a couple of reasons. One, I, I just love stories like that. I mean, just unexpected. No one would have anticipated this. And two, because it's the story of not just a race, not just a marathon, but like the ultimate marathon, 550 miles. And as we turn to scripture today, I want us to think about that because the author of this scripture is talking about what a relationship with God looks like. And he describes it as a race. And it's the type of race that's not just a sprint or not just a marathon, but it is a lifelong journey. And we've been going through a bunch of these just popular passages in scripture throughout the summer. We called it Words to Live By. We're looking at these verses that are constantly used, sometimes even overused, and saying, like, what, what do these verses mean if we kind of just start to unpack them and look at the context? Is there something more going on here? And this verse is found in Hebrews chapter 12. Let me just read it for us. It says, therefore. Anytime a passage in scripture says, therefore, what we can assume is that there was something that happened before this statement. There was some sort of thought or argument or train of thought that led to this statement. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Popular verse, many of you may have uh, may be familiar with this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Great words to live by. I had a week off last week, and Tyler spoke. Curtis did a wonderful job. Um, and so I had an extra week to prepare for this, and I was having such a hard time preparing for this passage and as I thought about it, I don't know why it was so hard. And I was thinking, like, this is talking about this lifelong journey, running this race with God that requires perseverance and faithfulness. And I was thinking, like, those are just such, like, foreign concepts to me. Like, I, I grew up in this culture, you know, I'm a millennial, and it's, I'm in this instant culture where I like instant gratification, and I like options, and I like freedom, and I like changing my decision, like changing, you know, I, changing plans last minute. And this idea of doing something over a long, extended period of time when there's all sorts of things that can hinder it and all sorts of distractions and staying faithful and pursuing what this calling is over time. That's something even in our culture that's just rare. It's countercultural. And as we read this passage and we, we read this, this author's talking about life with God, they're using this language of this race, this long endurance in the same direction an ultramarathon. Hebrews is a fascinating book. And in fact, what we, what we find is that Hebrews isn't just a book, it's a letter. The genre is, uh, it's considered uh, even one of the Pauline epistles. The Apostle Paul has these 13 letters that it's attributed to. And it's interesting that it's attributed to that because Paul, most scholars say he probably doesn't write it. But it's a beautiful book because in Hebrews, there's this, glorious description of who Jesus Christ is. And if you want to know uh, what the Christian faith is about, it's a great book to even start. It's a beautiful depiction of who Jesus is, his, his 
humanity, his divinity. It's this great theological masterpiece. And it was very popular in the early church. And we know that the early church loved this letter, Hebrews, and it was passed around, and it gained all sorts of popularity. One of the reasons they kind of attribute it to, to Paul is when they start to bring the New Testament together, when they start to canonize the Bible and say, these are the books that we believe are divinely inspired. They have all these councils that are trying to make these decisions, what books are in and what are out. And one of like the qualifications that they decided is, this book is in if it was written by one of the apostles or it was written by someone who's in direct connection, is in contact with the apostles. But then you have this book, Hebrews, which it doesn't really tell us who wrote it. One of the early church fathers, his name was Origen, said, only God knows who wrote Hebrews. But by the time they start to put the New Testament together, Hebrews has been passed around to all these churches, and the churches love it. They say this this book has been a great just revelation of who Jesus is and what he is up to in this world, and it, it has been foundational for our faith. It has to be divinely inspired. It has to be part of this canon. And so they uh, assume or attribute it to Paul, even though it never says it's written by Paul. Some would say this book's written by Barnabas. Some would even say it was written by a woman named Priscilla. If you've read the book of Acts, you know Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, she's this great leader in the church. And they think maybe it was written by her since it doesn't attribute who the author is at this time in this culture, not just in the church, but in the culture. Women weren't uh, allowed to teach, and so to keep the credibility of what's written, they hide the author's name. There's all sorts of assumptions who wrote Hebrews. But what we know is that Hebrews is probably written by someone who's pretty highly educated. Because as we read through Hebrews, there's this grasp of Greek language and Greek culture But there's also this grasp of the Hebrew language and the Hebrew culture that's kind of molded together, much like Paul and Barnabas both would have known. And it was probably written not just to a church, but to this community of people who are learning and wanting to lead. And the reason I think that is important is because as you start to read Hebrews and you eventually land at chapter 12, what you find is that there's this language about Uh, the Hebrew sacrificial system that's so important. And there's this language about the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament that comes up. And you have to kind of have this understanding of what's going on in the Old Testament to understand where this author is taking you in chapter 12. And when we land at this statement in chapter 12 of therefore, what we find is the chapter before that, the author is talking about faith. What it means to have faith. And there's this beautiful verse that says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Faith, being sure of what we hope for. And then chapter 11 goes on. We call it the Hall of Faith. It starts talking about all of these different heroes of the faith that experience God. So it talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. It goes through this list of these heroes of the faith. And it talks about the life that they lived, the race that they ran, the experience of God through the whole process. And then chapter 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, since we, it, it connects us 
with the story of Scripture. And as we consider our race that we're running and our walk with God and our relationship with him, this is one of the reasons that we say that the word of God, Scripture, the Bible is so important because it connects us with the people who have gone before us, who have encountered God in this world and said, I've had an experience that was real. Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, witnesses is a heavy word. A witness is someone who gives an account of an experience that they had. They give proof of something. Whether it was good or bad, they give proof. We just got back from Michigan, and uh, we, we were not going to go to Michigan this summer. Uh, we had a bunch of car problems and ended up canceling our trip, and then um, we actually had some, some friends that gave us points to go. Huge blessing for Marcy and I. Um, so they flew us out to Michigan to spend time with some family out there. And it was one of those things that was such a great gift to receive. Um, but the points were through the airlines called United. Some of you know United's been the news a lot lately. Um, and so I saw that we were flying United, and I was like, oh, great. We've got four kids. One's a baby. Um, and then we were flying through O'Hare in Chicago. And I don't know about you, but I've never had a good experience at O'Hare Airport. I just try to avoid it like the plague. I, I go through Minneapolis if I can, if I'm going to Michigan. Don't want to go through O'Hare. So we fly out there, great flight, everything goes well, no, no bags get lost in O'Hare, which was like the first time in my life, great experience. But we start flying home on Thursday. And we fly out of Grand Rapids, so we drive down from Traverse City, it's like a three hour drive, hop on this plane, get four kids through security, our daughter Sophia is trying to smuggle sparklers because it's the 4th of July. She gets caught by TSA. We have to fill all this paperwork. Kind of a crazy day. Get on the flight, and we're flying United, and we're flying into Chicago, and we get the loudspeaker comes on, and they say, there's a fire in the O'Hare Tower, and we can't land, so we're going to circle. A couple of minutes later, they, get, they come on, and they say, we're using bingo fuel, and we've got to land somewhere else, or we're going to run out of fuel, so they redirect us to Milwaukee. We have like an hour layover over in O'Hare, and Marcy and I are like, oh, no, we're going to miss our flight. So um, we're like looking at like when the next flight's coming up. It's not till the next day. It's completely booked. We're like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be miserable. We're going to get stuck in Chicago. And fly into Milwaukee, get on the ground, get on the tarmac. They fuel us up, get back into the air, fly back to Chicago. We realize that they've delayed all the flights for like an hour. And we're thinking, oh, we're going to make it. Land in O'Hare on the tarmac. And they said, we don't have any gates for you. So we sat in the tarmac for like 30 minutes with our children, babies screaming, Ezra, you guys know Ezra, the kid's nuts. Um, and we're thinking like, we, like, like the flight leaves in like 30 minutes and it took forever. Finally get to the gate, we have like 15 minutes and I'm like, I wanna do everything I can to make this flight because I might not get out of here until Saturday, we got four kids at the airport. So I'm like sprinting through O'Hare Airport. It's like, I feel like Macaulay Culkin, like my backpack's flying back and forth and I'm running through the airport and Marcy's like towing all of the kids behind. And I get to the gate, and the, the gate's closed. But the flight's not supposed to leave for like another five minutes. And I'm like, I go up to the person at the gate, and I'm like, I, you have to let us on. Like, I sprinted all the way here. And the, the, the guy at United's like, are you the Doe family? And I'm like, yes. He's like, we've been waiting for you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's great. <laughs> and he's like, can I get on? And he's like, no. We closed the gate. You can't get on. We can't reopen the gate. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, I've got four children. 
they're, we're going to get stuck here all night. Can't they wait five minutes? And the guy from United's like, all right, calls the pilot. The pilot says, oh, they're here? Okay, we'll reopen the gate. We'll let them back on. I'm like, great, this is awesome. And he goes, where's your family? And I'm like, they're like right behind me. They're coming. <laughs> and he's like, well, they need to be here. And at this point, like, I, I, I can get kind of intense. And was talking to him, and there's a little bit of arguing going on to get to this point. The whole lobby, like the next flight's like listening. And like, I'm like, I'm going to be like the next scene on the news that like got in a fight with United. This is terrible. And I'm like, you have to let us on. And he's like, if you're not here, we can't get on. A lady in the lobby goes out to like the main hallway and says, I can see them down the hallway. They're coming. And I was like, yes. And he goes, okay. Calls the pilot and says, they're here. And I go and look down the hallway and no one's there. She's like, yeah, I lied. I was trying to help you. And I was like, they're not here yet. And so I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> so I go back and he's like, where are they? I'm like, you have to understand she's towing four children. One's crazy, one's a baby. And like, we're getting it. And he's like, I cannot let you on. I'm like, five minutes, wait five minutes or we're waiting all night. And like, I am like getting ready to like, like lose my mind. I'm like, we're so close. We cannot miss this flight. And finally they turn the corner and we get on. And the guy's like, you're here. We're going to reopen the gate. We're going to let you in. And I was like, thank you, United. And I get on the flight, and the whole plane has been waiting for us. So, like, we turn the corner, and we're going down the aisle, and they're all staring at us. And I'm, like, looking, and I'm, I just hold up the baby, and I'm like, thank you! <laughs> Everyone, thank you for waiting. And they let us go, and we get on the flight. And, and it's funny, when, when they let us on, when they reopen the gate, the whole lobby cheers for us. It was like a movie. It's so bizarre. We get on the flight. I'm like, everyone's going to be so mad. And they cheer for us. This wonderful experience. And as we're leaving, we, we touch down at Phoenix. As we're leaving, I, like, everyone gets off the plane. Marcy gets off, gets kids off. And, I, and Micah's like conked out. So like, I'm trying to get, gather the last of our bags. And I'm walking out. To the, and I tell the pilot, thank you so much for waiting. Like, you have no idea, like, how helpful that was for us. Like, we'd be still stuck in Chicago. This would have been terrible. Um, th like, you just saved us so much trouble. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're so grateful to help, especially with, like, young families like you. Like, the whole time, Marcy's like, they're only doing this because they've had such bad press lately. <laughs> and I was like, listen, I'm a pastor, and I'm going to let everyone know in my congregation that United, like, bent over backwards for our family to get us home. Like, this was so great. Got off the plane, and uh, we get home. And I start thinking about, like, this story. Like, as I tell it, what I'm doing right now is there's this witness. I had this experience. I've heard all sorts of bad things about United, probably rightfully so, but thousands of people every single day fly United. And, like, we had a good experience. I can witness to that. They, they not only was it a good experience, these people, they, they like, changed their schedule for my family. A witness is someone who gives an account of something, whether good or bad. And in this passage in Hebrews, this author is talking about when it comes to our walk with God, this relationship with him, this race that we're running, we look back at the scripture and we see this story, this cloud of witness, these people who've said, we were slaves in Egypt and you freed us. I was blind, but now I can see. We were hungry and you fed. There are all these, these line after line of these people who are interacting with God and God is faithful and God provides and God heals. 
over and over again. And we have this understanding of our story in Scripture. We're reminded that our race, we can be encouraged in practicing the way of Jesus because other people have experienced it and it's been good. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses as we run this race. And I love what it says about that. It says, because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off all that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and and corrupts our life from experiencing what God has for us. Because we've seen God show up in other people, because we've seen him be faithful, let us be encouraged to continue this race and to put away the things that corrupt our lives from experiencing life to the full, from experiencing life that is eternal. Then he goes on to say, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I think these two thoughts are connected. To throw off all the things that hinder us and to fix our eyes on Jesus. This idea, there's two things. One is that not only when we throw things away, we, we take our eyes off of the things that entangle us. And we redirect them intentionally into something that is true and, and life-giving and eternal. We fix our eyes on Christ. We turn from the things that hinder us, and we turn to the thing that gives us life. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's say that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it allows us to imitate God. Ephesians 5.1 says to be imitators of Christ. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we get this picture of, 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 of who we've been made. We've been made in the image of God. And we consider this God who is love, this God who is holy, this God who is perfect. When we fix our eyes on him, we're able to reflect that image to others. When we look to Jesus, we imitate God. There's a story of this young artist in Italy a long time ago. Uh, he was kind of this up-and-coming artist. And there was this masterpiece art that was placed in this palace in Rome. And... Back then, they never wanted you to just copy art, right? I mean, they didn't have copyright laws back then, but they didn't want you to copy it. This guy shows up, and he loves this masterpiece, and he brings all of his equipment, and he's, what he's going to do is he's going to paint a copy of it in this palace. The officials from the palace come, and they say, you can't paint this. You can't copy this. You have to leave. And the young artist says, this is a beautiful masterpiece of so this work. Other people need to see it. I want to recreate it. They say, you can't do that. So he takes his equipment, and he goes home. Then the, the artist comes back the next day, and he stands there for hours staring at this picture, this painting, this masterpiece. Then he goes home, and he paints from memory what he sees. And he goes back the next day, and he stands in front of this painting for hours, observing it and looking at it. And he goes back, and he paints a little bit more. He does this day after day, week after week, until he's completed a perfect copy. And then he shows all of his neighbors what this copy is. And everyone says, this is, this is a beautiful piece of art. Did you do this? He says, no, I didn't do it. I copied this masterpiece that is in this palace in Rome. And everyone around his little village who probably would never have the opportunity to go to this palace sees it. And they say, other people need to see this. This is a beautiful work of art. How did you do this? And he says, because I went and I gazed upon the painting day after day. 
we consider what we do in this walk with God. If we want to reflect this image of God, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We focus on him. We spend time with him. We gaze at all of his characteristics. The more we do that, the more we're able to reflect to others. This is what God is like. This is what Jesus is like. We fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can imitate God. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we also find our true self. We're created in the image of God to be a certain kind of person here on earth. And the more that we're attached to this God who we're created in his image of, the more we become our true selves. The more we are in tune with our own personality, the way that we're wired. We don't try to be someone else. We don't spend our time comparing ourselves to other people. We're secure in who God created us to be. And the more that our focus is on God, the more that we're able to be our true self. There's a story of, of Jesus and Peter when they're talking, and Jesus says to Peter, who do people say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. He's able to identify who Jesus is, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, that's true. And from that, we say, he says, Peter, you're a rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. And there's this huge discussion of what's happening, but he's giving identity and calling back to Peter as Peter gazes upon Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we find our true identity and calling. We are imitators of God, and we become our true self. And when we look to Jesus, we avoid the unnecessary distractions of this world. All the things that hinder us, all the things that entangle us. When our focus is on Christ, we're able to allow those things to fade away. There's an old hymn that turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. The things of this world grow strangely dim. When you think about the things right now that bring stress to your life, the things that are causing anxiety, the things that you feel entangled with, the things that are hindering you from experiencing life to the full. When we gaze upon Christ, those things grow strangely dim. We're reminded of this eternal story, of this divine, this divine force of love that is in our life. This God who loves us so much, he gives us son Jesus as a revelation to show us what he's like. And, to, and this Jesus who loves us so much looks at all of our brokenness and says, the sacrifice that's been all through Hebrews that I've been talking about, I will be that sacrifice so that you can experience life. The more we focus on Jesus, the more all the unnecessary distractions in this life fade away. So a couple things to think about as we read this verse one more time. Let me read it. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. These words to live by, let us fix our eyes on Jesus as we run this race. Two things to think about. What needs to be thrown off in your life? 
thrown out so that you can experience life, the life that God's created for you. Where things are entangling you, where things are weighing you down, where things are hindering your race. What needs to be thrown off? Or maybe you need to ask, what are the things that you need to turn your eyes away from that are actually limiting the life that God has offered? Question for reflection. Then a challenge. To lift your eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. To gaze upon Christ. We do that through his word. We do that through community. We do that through prayer. We have this experience with God that encourages you and empowers you in this race, in this journey. To turn your eyes to Christ. Maybe that's something that's never happened. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never considered what that would look like to turn your face to him. And today you need to for the first time. Maybe you need to redirect your eyes back to the author and perfecter of your faith today. The band's going to come up. We're going to spend some time reflecting, responding in prayer. We end each week with a time of communion. Communion is a good time to turn our face back to God. Communion is this symbolic act that we say is sacred. When we take the communion, when we go to the table, we're reminded of God's love for us. We take a piece of bread, and it represents the incarnation, that God became human, that God came down as Jesus and walked among us. And this body that was here was broken on the cross. And then we take a cup of juice, and it's symbolic of this blood that was shed on the cross. We believe that through the breaking open of this body and the pouring out of this blood, the sacrifice, we experience eternal life. This is the story that we are a part of and the story that we trust that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to this world. As we come to the table, we remember this act that, was ha- that happened from God. But with this remembrance, there's also a calling for us. As a church, individually and corporately, we're the body of Christ in this world. We live our life breaking ourselves open and pouring ourselves out so that others may experience God. When we come to this table, we remember what God does for us, and we're challenged to do that for others. So there's a remembering and there's a proclaiming that happens at this table. As we head to the table today, let us think about the things that hinder us in this race and turn them over. Let us redirect our eyes to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Feel free to take communion uh, when you're ready. If you want to spend some time praying, um, you could pray before you go, or you could grab the elements and bring it back to your, your chair. Um, but Tim's going to lead us through a time of worship and prayer, and then we'll, we'll end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for uh, this encouragement from this author in Hebrews. Lord, that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these people who give an account of how they experienced you, how you were good, 
Let us be encouraged, Lord. Let us be inspired to say that all of these things in this world that hinder us, these things that entangle us, these things that corrupt our hearts, that we throw them aside and chase after you. Chase after the life that you offer. That we fix our eyes on you today, Lord. That the things of this earth would grow strangely dim. We'd be reminded of this eternal calling, this eternal story, this eternal relationship. So we come to you today. We ask you that you'd meet us, that you'd transform us, that you would mold us to be more like you. That you would empower us to run a race, even if we look different, even if it looks like we're running funny, if we have overalls and boots on. But we know with you we win, that there's victory. We give you this time. In your son's name we pray.